Well, good morning, everybody. It's so nice to see new faces, and it's been such a lovely weekend. I've really enjoyed your company, really enjoyed the opportunity to get to know you more as a, a congregation and a community. It's just been so, so nice. And Matt sends his love, my husband, who I know that you've seen from time to time. He's come and preached and shared at events before. He's very sorry um, not to be with you before, but he assures me that you're in good company with me. Just, so. explain, just explain why he's not here. Yes, yeah, so well, he, he, he double books. <laughs> and uh, what happened was, is he's a drummer, and his eldest son, Andy, is a drummer as well. This sounds like my idea of hell, what I'm about to tell you. But there is basically a massive drum conf- um, conf- like conference um, that happens in Liverpool every year, and there's a thousand drummers. Mm-hmm. And in the exhibition hall, at one point only, there's a hundred different kits playing all at the same time so he says he's got earplugs and paracetamol every four hours <laughs> but it's great for him to spend some time with his son so they'd already booked the tickets and so that's where he is and um, so do keep that story open for me because we're going to be dwelling in this story that Simon's just read out for us um, it probably is one of my favorite stories of the account of Jesus I mean, we see all the way through his three short years, don't we, and his ministry on earth, that he performed the miraculous, he spent time with people that nobody else wanted to spend time with, he touched the untouchable, which we'll come on to in just a moment. And for me, this story has like a couple of keys that I think are really, really poignant for us to grab hold of, no matter where we are in our faith journey. And I want to be able to talk to those um, today. And the title of it is to be able to talk about the same power, because although we don't like to think about that word power because it's suggestive of rank and status, that's not where we're going today. We're talking about the power and the possibility of what can happen when we use God's gift in his Holy Spirit and we access that to be God's good news in this world. And Jesus himself said to his disciples as he parted and as he raised um, from the dead, he was like, you will receive my power and he breathed on his disciples. And so I want to say that that same power that Jesus operated in throughout his whole life and ministry is actually as hard as it is to get our heads around it the same power that he has given you and I and if we can grasp that if we can give it a go if we can see the possibilities and the opportunities of tapping into that power maybe some great things could happen so using this story I want to chat us through five or six I think different principles of what that power can do for us how it can be worked in us and how it can be worked through us as Christians. And for those of you who have come to my sessions or weekends, you'll know how much I love alliteration. So it will be no surprise that these next five, six points all begin with a C. So bear with me as I just indulge myself with the joy of trying to find words that start with the same word, (laughs) letter. So the first thing is I want to address the power of collision here in this story. So if you reread for me verse 11 and verse 12, you will see what I mean. Because as you start to unpack this story, you're seeing there that there are two crowds. And these two crowds meet. And one crowd is carrying death, and the other crowd is carrying life. 
And I want you to think about who's been accompanying Jesus. You know, previously, if you backtrack to some of the other chapters, you see that the disciples have just come off the back of an incredible ministry time. They've seen God's power. They've seen the miraculous happen. They've seen so many incredible things happen. And as they are accompanying Jesus, they should have every reason to be full of hope that maybe another miracle could happen. Maybe another encounter from Jesus could happen. But as you read in verse 11 and verse 12, that whilst Jesus was heading for the city, this other, much larger crowd of people were heading for the cemetery. And right here, friends, you see the gospel being played out. It's this incredible story of Jesus quite literally stopping death in its tracks and deliberately colliding with it to command and to bring life. And we'll look at that word command in just a second. You know, and it begs the question, when we see life, when we see society, when we see all stress and strains and those things that look like death, those things that look like there is no hope, are we deliberately wanting to collide with that as God's Christians that come in the opposite spirit? Or do we, like I have so many times before, rather dodge around it and pick the easy route? But friends, to be people of faith means that sometimes we need to find that faith and that courage and that tenacity to collide with things that are different and in the opposite spirit bring life and bring hope. So as these two people groups are coming together, one much larger, way more volume, way more mourning, way more sorrow, understandably, and a smaller people group coming in to bring life, Here you start to see something amazing that is about to happen. And so, if you like, Jesus' main mission here on earth was to interrupt funerals. I mean, he interrupted his own funeral, didn't he, when he came back to life. And his whole mandate, as it says in John 10.10, is to bring life. John 10.10 says these words, I've come to bring life and life in its fullness. And he talks about how the enemy looks to kill, destroy and rob. But he has come to give us abundant, abundant life. And you know, our main mission as God's Christians is to bring life as well into any sphere and into any place that God has blessed us to have influence with. So as death and sorrow sometimes goes out, we have life and victory and the power of Christ to come back at that and to collide. So that first point is about the power of collision. But when you think about it, to have the power of collision, there also needs to be compassion. And that's my next point this morning. So have a read of verse 13 and you'll see what I mean. And so in verse 13, there's this beautiful phrase that I really don't think that we should avoid. It says, when the Lord saw her, when the Lord saw her. How beautifully encouraging it is for every single one of us today, no matter where we're at in stage of life, no matter where we're at in our faith journeys, to know that God sees you. He sees you in whatever circumstances and pain and difficulties you go through. And that's the beauty of this verse in verse 13. Not only does he see you, but then the next verse says, and his heart goes out to you. And his heart went out to this woman. His heart went out to her in all of her pain and all of her sorrow of losing her son. 
We serve a compassionate, kind God who draws close to the brokenhearted. That's what our word says. And so this power of compassion is something beautiful. And if we can adopt that same compassion as God's people, imagine what a difference we could make in God's world. You know, he understands her circumstances. He sees the tough situation that she finds herself in. And I think Jesus as divine trinity, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit can emphasise. Because of course, in part, Jesus knows what's going to happen to him. And God himself knows that he's going to surrender and give up his son on her behalf. So grief and loss and death isn't and wasn't something that Jesus couldn't understand. It was something very much he could understand, which is why he sees her and which is why his heart goes out to her. But then if you follow in verse 13, you see something quite shocking, a bit of a radical statement, because he says, don't cry. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're going through an incredibly tough time, particularly if you've lost somebody or if it's just a crummy day and everything is going against you and nothing seems to be working out well, and understandably, emotions get the better of you, which they should because we're wired as emotional people which can share some of the difficulties of life through tears and share them with others. But imagine if somebody turned around to you and said, don't cry. It would be a shocking statement, wouldn't it? And it would be ill-advised to say to certain people that are going through certain different things not to cry. It wouldn't be the best phrase of words. But I like to think that the reason that Jesus was saying don't cry was really, if you put it in another way, he was trying to communicate, I've got this. Will you trust me at the most painful junction of your life that I can do something about this? And not only do I want to collide to bring hope into your situation, but I want to bring compassion. You know, Isaiah 53, um, verse 3, it says these words. It talks about Jesus and it says that he's a man of sorrows and that he's acquainted with grief. He understands what's hard. And that word acquaint is to like, familiarise yourself, to link with, to connect with somebody. And I guess that's a challenge for every single one of us too, isn't it? That if we're called to do that same power and have that same collision and compassion of Jesus, who do we acquaint with? Who do we link with? Who do we connect with? Who does our heart go out to? Who do we see that maybe other people don't see? Many of you will know that that word compassion, once it's broken down, is actually in the Greek related to, um, like, right at the pit of you. And it's related to your bowels, as crazy as that sounds. And what's interesting is, is, um, and excuse me if you think I'm being a bit too crude, but if you know you need to go to the loo, you need to go to the loo. But compassion is that feeling, that gut emotion that stirs at the pit of you, a bit like how we felt that in the physical, that says there's an urgency for me to do something about this situation. And friends, it's a good way of looking at this, that sometimes our gut churns, doesn't it? When we see things that happen in the world, sometimes our gut churns when we think I could make a difference in this but for compassion to really be something that's then utilized is it has to move from that feeling 
of like being disquieted to then the action of doing something about it. So the Lord sees, his heart goes out, he says, don't cry because I've got this. And then here's the next C, there is contact. And friends, this is the most beautiful part of the story. It's all beautiful. But verse 14, if you have a look at it again, and verse 14 essentially says that he went up, he touched the coffin that they were carrying the dead son out on, and everybody stood still. And he said, young man, get up. And friends, I want to remind you how countercultural this moment is. You see, back then, in that time, in that period of time of history, in that period of time of how things were done, a dead body would have been considered very dirty, and they would have finished um, and kind of like buried people as quickly as possible, partly because of that, but even because of infections and things like this. And it's helpful to paint a picture, even at the start, as I said that, as they're coming into the city gates and everybody is going out, it's quite literally because if you go to Jerusalem, you'll see that all of the gravestones are way over there and the city wall is over here. There is a, a disconnection and a decision and many in that time to say death was something that we shouldn't associate ourselves with and going beyond that we should certainly never touch it but Jesus our saviour does something incredibly countercultural here in that moment and he reaches out and he touches this young boy Now, I can just imagine that not only, as you've just read, it says that everybody stops still, but there would be gasps, there would be shaking of heads, there would be judgment, there would be awe with regards to what Jesus just did. And the love of God quite literally enables Jesus to get his hands dirty. And friends, we've got to get our hands dirty in this world. There are things and people and people groups and places where so many people would say, don't touch. Where so many people would say, don't go near that. But actually, we serve a Jesus who nobody is disqualified from his love. Nobody doesn't get an opportunity to receive his touch. And this beautiful story shows us that as he collides, as he brings his compassion And then as he touches and he brings that contact, it's the gospel, friends. And you know, the gospel has become so twisted and difficult to understand, but really it's the most simplest, beautiful story that we could ever own. And the gospel isn't that sin makes you bad. The gospel is that sin kills you. Sin looks to make you dead. But the gospel is that we are alive through Christ that we have eternity with Christ as a result of his contacts, as a result of his cross, and as a result of his decision to touch our lives. So Christ touches what was dead, and he restores it to life. And I wonder, who are we touching? Who are we deliberately seeing, extending our hearts to, empathising with today? But then we look to the next verse that follows that amazing, miraculous moment. That two things go hand in hand. Touch and contact is something that's happening. But then it's quickly followed in verse 14 with commands. And verse 14 says, young man, I say to you, get up. 
And Jesus speaks these phenomenal words of life, which then you see, sees that young man get up. And friends, I want to encourage you that we have words of life. We have words of hope. We have words of resurrection of God's people. And there is death and life and the power of the tongue, so the Proverbs tell us. And, you know, we can bring destruction and horridness and awful things that come out of our mouth. But if we can use our mouth to make a difference, if we can use our mouth to speak life like Jesus did, imagine all the amazing things that would happen. So the contact and the command, like, relates together. And as Jesus says these powerful words, I believe that there's not one ounce of doubt in Jesus that this young man's going to get up and live because he touches and then he speaks life. And then I love the next verse that comes along because I guess my imagination runs wild because in verse 15 it says, the dead man sat up and began to talk. And I was just like, what would his first words have been? Like, would he have been like, what the heck? Like, what just happened to me? Like, who touched me? But like... What an incredible moment that instantly, through Jesus' breath and through Jesus' speech, then this young man comes back to life and, and, and conversation and talk and life comes back into this young boy. It's a beautiful moment and it's an incredible miracle. And so then what happens? Well, verse 15 brings us to the next scene. It's the power of connection. And this is probably, I guess, one of the most profound emotional moments in the whole of the story. And if you read verse 15, you'll see that it says, And Jesus gave him back to his mother. What a saviour. What a Jesus we know. That his whole life and his whole purpose was to reinstate connection ultimately with us to him. And then us to each other. Everything that he did, everything that he advocated for, was so that if possible, by his power and his strength, he could have those connected moments to just bring sorrow and difficulty and pain through his grace and through his power and make a difference. So it's a beautiful moment of connection when Jesus gives him back to his mother. It's an incredible moment of Jesus' main mission to stop death and sorrow and to bring life and victory. You know, I love these um, verses in Psalm 146. So really, really kind of like powerful um, words that come out of it when it talks about how we can have the same power as God's Christians. And it talks about, in Psalm 146, it talks about how Jesus frustrates the way of the wicked. And I quite like that. Like, I think we always sometimes hear about that word frustrating being, I don't know, something that's naughty or something that we shouldn't do. But God God wants to frustrate the way of the wicked. God wants to be countercultural. God does want to ruffle some feathers. God does want to challenge some of our perceived understanding and some of our our own defaults and behaviours. He wants to frustrate us sometimes so that some greater good can come out. 
And you know, Isaiah 61 says these words that are probably familiar to so many of us. But it talks about how the spirit of the sovereign Lord is always hovering, always wanting to do, always wanting to bless and bring things um, for us. And it says that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on us because the Lord has anointed us to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent us to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for captives, to release them from darkness to prisoners, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. These are beautiful words, friends, that give us a mandate and give us a challenge about how we too can operate in some of those things. And so just as I start to draw to a close, I want to bring the final C. And that final C is the power of celebration. The power of celebration. Verse 16, if you have a look, says these words. They were all filled with awe and they praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they says. God has come to help his people. And friends, gratitude is so important to God. We live to praise him. We live to make him number one in our lives. And you know, there's another story in the gospel, isn't there, about how um, 10 lepers in in, um, Luke 17 uh, were healed. And they were healed from leprosy. And they received a miracle. Yet only one returned back to Jesus to give thanks. And in that story, he says, Jesus questions all of this that happens. And he says, you know, didn't I heal ten men here where they're not another nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And I think all too often when we see God do amazing things in our lives, we sometimes forget to thank the source. Sometimes we might think that in our, as we sang this morning, in our own human endeavour and our own human strength, it's, it's us that's won the day. It's us that have come through the battle. And yes, in part that's true as we cooperate with God for our lives. But gratitude, friends, is important to God. Giving him thanks, giving him praise to regularly stop and pause and say, wow, God, if it was not for you, I wouldn't have been able to have done that. I see you. I see you in my finances. I see you in this family dynamic. I see you when I was this and now I'm this. And I thank you. And maybe not be like those nine people who never returned back to Jesus to give him praise. But may we, like that one, always return with gratitude. And like the story says in verse 16, be filled with awe and praise God for all he has done. Because God has come to help his people. And God has come to help you. And his work is not finished. The work on the cross has been finished. But his regular, daily heart to want to come to you in your hour of need is minute by minute, second by second, hour by hour. And at the end of the day, friends, ingratitude can block the flow of what God wants to do in our lives. Whereas gratitude releases a river of praise. And one of the best things that we can do as God's people that gather together 
is to learn how to be high in gratitude, to learn how to be high in praise. You know, Paul writes in Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7, as I start to draw to a close, he says, don't worry about anything. That's hard, isn't it? (laughs) Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. He says, tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ. And there is a key here, friends, in Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7, that helps us to really get a gauge on this. As we submit to him, as we pray, as we praise, as we tell him everything that we need and thank him for all that he's done, it then says this is what you'll experience. Peace. Anyone need a bit of peace today? Anyone just need the shalom of God, the quietness of God just to come and touch their life? And then that peace does something amazing. It guards your heart and it guards your mind. And friends, I think all of us in this room could probably do with our hearts being more guided, guarded and our minds as well. So lots of food for thought today in this amazing story which I'm going to read out to you again. And what I'd like to encourage you to do, if you're able and feel comfortable, I'd like to encourage you to close your eyes. And what I'd like you to do with some exercise as we close is picture yourself in the scene. See every single detail. Think about the city wall. See in your mind's eye where the cemetery is. See... See the countenance of the mum. See the countenance and the face of Jesus. Stand yourself in that scene as I read out these words again. And just allow yourself for one, two minutes to immerse yourself in this story and let God speak to you. So I'm just going to give it five, ten seconds of quietness just so you can start to build that picture in your scene and your mind before I read the story again. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. Then he went up and he touched the coffin they were carrying her mum. And the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. 
the dead man sat up and he began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe. They praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. Lord, what a powerful story that we've engaged with today. Lord, I pray that you would help us land some of those same behaviours that you did in this story to others around us. That we would be your people that are not afraid to collide with that which looks different. That we would be your people that would deliberately look to make a difference, Jesus, and bring life and hope, even when death and destruction is coming the other way. Help us, God, to be your compassionate people that are moved in our tummy and moved in our actions, God, to do something. That we would be people like Jesus that sees. That we would be people that our hearts go out to others, Lord. (coughs) Would you help us, God, to make contact with people that you're asking us to make contact to? Help us, God, to get our hands dirty and be your hands and feet in your good news in this broken world. Would you equip us, Lord, with words of life, Jesus, that we would speak your words. Like that that happened for Ezekiel when he was led up to that mountaintop and he was told, speak to the bones and let them live. Enter the Lord's breath. Lord, may we be people that use our mouth to speak life into others. And Jesus, because you're all about connection and you're all about relationship, help us to be as well. And as we are travelling as a church about what it looks like to be devoted to one another, I pray and I speak over this precious congregation, Lord, ongoing connection connection to you and each other, Lord, that we would be given over to each other and fully devoted to each other at whatever age and stage of life that we're at. And finally, God, that we would be your people that always sing a song of praise, always celebrate you, always give thanks, and are always full of gratitude for all that you do. Help us, as you say, Paul and Thessalonians, to rejoice always, pray continually, giving thanks to you in all circumstances, because we know that this is your will. We don't want to quench your spirit, Lord. So I pray more of you and less of us. In Jesus' name we pray this prayer. Amen. Amen. Amen.